0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Collier Bristow's US-UK podcast, a series which sheds light on some of the most common aspects of US-UK cross-border tax and estate planning. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, please do leave us a rating or a review on whatever platform you're listening on. It really does help others find out about the show. Today, we're going to consider cross-border philanthropy and charitable giving, and what options are available for US-UK taxpayers that allow for control, flexibility, and maybe a bit of tax efficiency on the side. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by someone who lives and breathes US-UK philanthropy, Joe Chrome. He's a senior manager at the Charities Aid Foundation and leads the CAF American Donor Fund. Joe has spent his career working in the charity sector with particular experience in philanthropy, grant-making, and fundraising. I'll leave Joe to explain who CAF are and in due course how and why we think they might be of possibly particular benefit to Americans living in the UK. Joe, thank you so much for joining
1: me today. Um, how are you? Yeah, Aidan, thanks for having me today. I'm very well, thank you. Very well. How are you How are you doing? Yes, I'm not too bad. Um, who are the Charities Aid Foundation in
0: their broadest possible sense? If you, if you can, distill it into a sort of a 10-second soundbite.
1: That's difficult. CAF has grown immensely over the years. <laughs> but essentially, CAF is an organisation, we're a UK charity, and we exist to help connect donors, charities, corporates, foundations and government to accelerate society towards a fair and sustainable future for all. So we are particularly in the business of advising philanthropists and corporates on how to give effectively and leverage as much giving for good causes as possible. You said you couldn't do it in 10 seconds, but that sounded pretty erudite
0: to me. Also, <laughs> what was impressive was to use the words fund, advise, and donor without using the phrase donor advice fund, which we will come back to <laughs> later because I think that's going to form a key part to some of these discussions. So, Joe, I thought would be a wonderful person to talk about philanthropy and charitable giving, not just in the US-UK sense, but also sort of in a much broader sense. And and, and that broader sense, I think, is where I want to start first, because when we think about making gifts to charity, we're we're often thinking about, where do I want to make the gift to? How much do I want to give? But actually there's a much broader set of principles that I've always understood that we need to think about when we're starting out on a process of philanthropy, let's say. In your experience, Joe, what are some of these principles that govern what I'm going to grandiosely refer to as a quote unquote giving strategy?
1: Yeah. So I think I think we find that a lot of clients come to us initially having a bit of history with giving, but often just giving in bits and pieces. So maybe giving to the university they attended or giving towards causes that friends and family are fundraising for. Often whoever shouts loudest, honestly, because our clients are usually pretty busy and they may not have had the time until now to actually really think about a giving strategy. The role that we have as philanthropy advisors, and I think that's quite a broad term actually, because like you say, I, I do live in brief philanthropy. It's, it's, my, it's my job and it's my passion. But actually in your role, you will be also coming across clients that want to be philanthropic and the full range of advisors in many ways act as philanthropic advisors. And I think the first principle really for us to bear in mind is to to listen. You know, like in any good relationship, you need to listen, you need to understand the context, understand the family, understand those dynamics because our clients do have lots of ideas, but they also need help. And that's where philanthropy advice is really, really critical. And it was Andrew Carnegie, actually, the famous quote from Andrew Carnegie, that it's much more difficult to give money away intelligently than it is to earn it in the first place. And I think (laughs) most of our clients who are giving on a pretty strategic, significant level really find that to be true. I think that's the case for the Bezos and the Gates, as, as, as well as the sorts of clients that we might be working with as well. You kind of need to start from the beginning, really. You need to look at the family, ideally get everyone in the room if possible because most of our clients if they're thinking about a giving strategy it is a family endeavor and it may actually be something they want to have in place you know for a number of generations and so the first thing that we need to look at is broadly the values of the family which geographies are important which things are more important than others is making grants to a particular type of organization more important actually than your investments being held ethically you know there there are there are lots of very big questions that we first need to ask and and start with what you can often do with a family once you've started thinking about some of those things is create a theory of change for that family's giving strategy so you you kind of start at the end for anyone not familiar with the theory of change model you start at the end you know this is the outcome we want to achieve ultimately as a family and then you work your way back what are all the things that will help us to get there and that might not just be making donations to charities of course that could be you know to achieve that outcome as a family you might be volunteering or you might be like I said maybe reallocating your investment portfolio to match your values and so philanthropy is a really good way of starting that conversation like a values-based conversation with a family but it doesn't need to be the only piece in that kind of Wider theory of change, and organisations like us at CAF will have different kind of methods that we work through. And I'm happy to give you some examples, of if that's helpful too. I'm saying it flippantly because I know the answer. It's not as simple as saying I have
0: an amount that I want to give to charity, and just here it is, and I'm going to give it to a charity. It's making your money. If it's your money, you're giving as you as you point out, time is probably something that a lot of smaller charities would like as much as, if not more than, money. But it's making your money work cleverly in terms of its investments, as you said, making sure you're invested ethically, that's a principle for you, making sure you're getting the right returns, but also making sure that your money is working for you in terms of achieving your principles. I think the way you characterize the theory of change is really important because philanthropy is all about the end goal. It's all about the end product. And so starting from there, working backwards and saying, well, how do we get to where you want to go? I think is really a clever way of framing it but yes but by all means do give an example of how you would go through it
1: yeah well i think also to your point it can be complicated and multi-layered but what we don't want is to paralyze people with a fear that it's too much so we can't even start it's too overwhelming so that's why having a framework having an advisor using something like a theory of change is really important because What we don't want people to do is just stay on the sidelines and not use their wealth for good. We want people to feel that they can jump in to an extent as well. So it's getting that balance right between knowing that advice is important, but not make it feel like it's a huge barrier to actually getting going and started because we learn by doing in life. So there is an element of just start giving and see what feels right. For us at CAF, in answer to your other question, I think... There's often two routes that we use with clients who are looking for advice. So some clients will come to us and they have decided already as a family that they want to do something a bit more specific. And so they may, maybe they've had some conversations or often the children these days are kind of pushing some ideas forward. And they might come to us and say, actually, you know what? We're really passionate about climate change charities. We'd like to support charities in Asia, but we really have no idea Who's making an impact? Who's trustworthy? You know, we want to do it in a tax-effective way. All of those things, and they will almost commission us and our in-house advisory team, which is part of CAF's Impact Accelerator, to conduct a piece of work, a research piece. Effectively, we will go and interview charities, see who's making an impact, see who's achieving outcomes, and then we'll actually make some recommendations to the clients on what size donation might have an impact that they're looking to make. There's no obligation to follow those recommendations, but it gives them a really clear output, a nice report that they can refer to and discuss as a family. The other side of the coin, and probably the more exciting for us as as philanthropy advisors, is when there really is a blank canvas and we get everyone in the room who's involved in in the family. And we start from the very beginning and we have a very kind of conceptual, high-level conversation about, as I mentioned earlier, those families' values and passions. And they might be thinking about granddad grew up in this country, or my friends just completed a trek for this charity. And that got me thinking about fighting human trafficking or whatever, you know, whatever it might be. And and it all gets fed into a kind of framework that we use. And there are lots of different techniques philanthropy advisors use. You know, one thing that we've got, which I know that others use as well, is um, you have a kind of deck of cards with lots of different words and values and impact investing and grants to charities or savings for my future whatever and you sort of ladder them in priority order to try and figure out what actually and and you match each family member will do that task separately and you bring them all together and see how aligned the family is on their giving sometimes we we have a recent case where we had a client with um, nearly 10 million dollars in a donor advised fund and really starting from the very very beginning it actually was handed down for a legacy gift for the grandchildren to steward. There were no strings attached. There were no expectations. And we went through this exercise and actually the advisors to the DAFs, the the grandchildren, decided actually they did want very different things. They were almost going to split the DAF in half. And one was going to do something that was quite global and the other was going to do something that was quite local. And And that's okay as well, but they probably wouldn't have been able to get there in an amicable way without having advisors like us sitting there and kind of I wouldn't say mediating, but facilitating the, the conversation. That wouldn't minimise the
0: role that you play. As you say, it's a fairly amorphous, large beast, the concept of philanthropy. And short of saying, I want to give some money to Oxfam, you know, I want to give some money to the British Art Foundation, no one starts out with anything probably more complicated than that. But it's only when you sit down and you think about, actually, we are privileged enough to have the opportunity to think more strategically about what we want to do how we want to bring the family and as you say think about what the growing trends are where can our money make the greatest impact and you don't have that experience yet you need to bring people in who can help guide you in that process any more than if you want to talk about your estate planning and you bring in a lawyer to help guide the, the overarching principles. My job in any kind of legal work is to help set up the client's objectives, work out what those are, work out how we get to the end and then work backwards from there. And it's exactly the same with you. So we're just doing it sort of in the philanthropy sector, so to speak. Now, you did use the word donor advice fund already. Mm. So you've lost the game of mentioning it first. Actually, no, I mentioned <laughs> it first, so I, I lost it previously. One of the most obvious questions talking about philanthropy is who does your money go to? Seems like a silly question. It is in some respects, but because ultimately you will have an idea about where eventually you want the money to go. But as you said yourself, if you want to fight systemic climate change and you don't know whether you want your money to go to a, you know combat logging in Brazil or to you know stop rising seas in Antarctica or stop water droughts in Sub-Saharan Africa, you don't know where you're going to start. And so this concept of a a donor advised fund comes in. So do you want to break down what the idea of a donor advice fund is in its sort of theoretical sense and why someone might consider putting their money into a donor advice fund rather than sort of keeping all of the keys to themselves.
1: Yeah and yeah I uh, I dived straight into the lingo of uh donor advice funds and, and DAF. So apologies, but I'm <laughs> happy to explain it was gonna happen. It was gonna happen, don't worry. Of course. We we love an acronym as well. So if I say DAF, I mean donor advice fund going forward. A donor advised fund, you you can effectively see as a charitable giving account hosted under the umbrella of an established charitable organisation. So you can really see it as an alternative to creating your own charitable foundation that you would make grants from. And what I often like to say to people is that a donor advised fund really offers all of the benefits without the burdens that are associated with actually creating and maintaining your own entity. So the way that it works is that you... So CAF, for example, is what we would call a donor-advised fund provider. You make an irrevocable charitable gift to CAF um, or to your donor-advised fund of choice. The others are available, I should say. You've made your charitable gift. Your money's crossed the charitable threshold. And the DAF will then create an account for you in your name, which you then become an advisor of. And that's a restricted fund, that's a fund that you then can recommend grants from to charities, or it's a fund that you can actually ask to be invested to grow for the future. And it becomes really a one-stop shop for your giving. In many ways, as a foundation would if you were running your own foundation, the money can stay there for a long, long time. Um, In fact, the fund can even pass on to your successors. But whilst it's there for you, it's within your ability as an advisor to the fund to suggest which charities you'd like to support. Lots of DAFs have many other features and services um, whether it's the philanthropy advice i talked about earlier on and whether it's an element of impact investing or social investment with things like loans to charities the key thing is that it's a tax-effective giving account, which you are an advisor to. I mean, DAFs have become a huge, huge industry, particularly in the States. So in 2021, we had $72 billion donated into DAFs in a single year. And in the UK, uh, in 2020, it was £626 million, So, and usually growing by double digits. So the take-up of DAFs has been really, they've been very popular they generally are obviously much easier to set up than a foundation. And once it's up and running, you're, you're really ready to go. And what donors like about the DAF is that there is no individual liability or reporting requirements or regulatory compliance for those donors as individuals. It's all taken care of by the DAF provider.
0: It is worth, from my side as the lawyer, sort of reiterating or picking up on some of those points, because, you know, I've set up many charities for clients before sometimes the simplest one being the the grant making trust you know a family has some money that they want to set aside they've decided this is money that we're going to set aside for the family's charitable giving and they'll establish a charitable trust for doing so they will be the trustees of that trust let's say quite frequently and you know they will have in their mind what a grant making strategy they want to undertake but if you set up your own charity once it's got more than 5000 pounds of income you need to register that charity with the Charity Commission. That is increasingly an onerous exercise. And there is annual reporting that comes with having a charity. These are public funds. um, And so the Charity Commission and the government want to make sure that those funds are being used correctly. And so if you have, let's say, several million pounds sitting in a charitable trust, you may need to be undergoing audits, or at the very least, independent examinations. If you want to create a more robust structure, such as a charitable company or a charitable incorporated organisation, a CIO, then the levels of uh, scrutiny, accounting, and reporting just sort of grow. So the advantage of a DAF from our perspective as lawyers can be exactly as you said. It gives you an opportunity to make the gift, get the tax relief, we'll come on to that in a second, but give you that lower burden of administration because you don't have to be doing all the reporting, et cetera, because you know, CAF has very kindly, very generously offered to do so much of it themselves. To my mind as a lawyer, when I, and I've had this conversation several times, and I imagine it's one that you're confronted with, the principal limitation or, or restraint from of a DAF, I presume, is, well, if I set up my own charity, i I'm just going to be in charge of my money. I can do sort of, quote unquote, whatever I want with it, so long as I stay within the remit of the objects of the of the charity I've set up. But if it has, say, general charitable objects, then I can do effectively anything that's charitable. Am I not losing control? I know you said, I'm an advisor and I can advise, but to what extent do I retain that control over the direction of my funds if they're put in a DAF?
1: We have lots of conversations with potential clients who come and speak to us about whether they would like to start a foundation or create a DAF. And I think control often becomes the biggest conversation piece. And there is a distinction in that a donor advised fund, ultimately the donor advised fund provider, in this case CAF, has the ultimate discretion about how funds are applied and granted and used. And so now in most cases, our clients are looking to make perfectly acceptable grants to charities which preserve charitable purpose and are to absolutely legitimate entities and that's and that's fine. And so in the vast, vast majority of cases, we are able to honour the recommendations of our clients and, and make the grants or the other activities that they're looking for. I think where we have a potential client who not only do they want control, but they also perhaps, they actually have made the space in their lives to really focus on this endeavour. And they like the idea of having a foundation, maybe even having a team of staff eventually and and being very involved almost as a second career. And I think in those cases, particularly on the UK side, it could very well make sense for them to actually create this foundation with the help of you know someone like yourself and, and Collier Bristow, providing they have the support and the help and the advice they need to maintain that in the future. It can be a bit different on the US side because the tax treatment of private foundations versus public charities and donor advised funds is less favourable with regards to private foundations. So that one becomes a bit more nuanced, but we're always happy to have a kind of balanced conversation about what the client is really looking for and needing. Yeah, You have teed
0: me up. Perfectly there, because a large part of the US-UK philanthropy sector turns on tax efficiency, as is often the case for Americans living in the UK. So, teaser, when we come back, Joe and I are going to talk about tax efficiency and cross-border planning in the philanthropy sector. Do join us then next time.